Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is Free Zone Frontier podcast. And I have my regular partner here, Steve Krein. Hi, Dan. Looking out on foggy New York, New York City today, and uh, Reagan Archibald, who is in Salt Lake City, where I suspect it's probably sunshine. Is that right? It's a little overcast, but we've got some sun that's going to peek through this afternoon. But good to be on, Dan, and, and nice to be with you. Steve. Yeah, it's really great having you here. And Steve and I go back 24 years at the latest count. He started in coach. Actually, Babs was his coach. My wife coached back then, and so he started off with the her. The one year she was a coach, I think. Yeah, and then <laughs> you made your way up to you know, cross the hall or whatever it was in those days. And, and Reagan, I've known certainly a decade of Reagan, or maybe it was just when 10 times started, I think. Yeah. So it's probably 2013, so nine years. Yep. And Reagan, and I just hit it off right off the bat, I think for a lot of personal reasons, but then, you know, we started going to Reagan's functional medicine clinic. We saw him both in Park City and in Salt Lake City, and his yeah. network is spreading, and he's on the road to global domination, like <laughs> all of our free zone clients when they're talking among themselves, all the talk of global domination comes out. And Steve's your network stretches last count for me was 26 countries. I think you have your startup healthcare, uh, the entire network, and both of you have a breadth of experience in terms of what healthcare really means. So you've decided not to be in the disease management industry, but rather to be in the actual healthcare industry. So we're going to talk about a thing that has become more and more of a reality, and I think very, very recently, and that's the whole notion of age reversal as a strategy for life extension. In other words, that you are now able to reverse your physical and medical age, your fitness age. And as a result of that, you get extra years as a result of getting fitter and healthier, regardless of what age you are. So that's our topic for today. And Steve, we've been talking about this forever. Probably, I don't know if that was front and center for you when you started oh, yeah. Startup Health, but there's been an exponential growth in capability in your world. Yeah, and interestingly enough, it wasn't front and center when I, when I began my entrepreneurial career back in the mid-90s when I started my first company. But when I launched Startup Health, and right before I launched Startup Health, the predecessor company, Organized Wisdom, it actually was not about the word healthcare as much as the word health. And I think everybody can agree, you know, it's a sick care system, not a healthcare system or not a health system. And yeah. I think globally... And locally, when you think about health and you think about aging and you think about longevity and you think about just each of us individually, you can't help but think we've been handling this for many years, if not for all of the years, reactively versus proactively. And I think, you know, one of the things that has been, I think, very much front and center for us over the last 11 years since we both launched Startup Health, but have evolved Startup Health considerably as a global movement has been this idea of entrepreneurs and innovators and people all over the world who care deeply about truly making their future and our future bigger than our past as it, you know, when it comes to living long, healthy years. 
And so I'm excited for today's conversation, but I have, you know, I think even coming out of COVID over the last two years, even more confident than ever before that all of the ingredients are here for us to add many, many healthy years to our lives. And if we can get out of our own way a little bit as a society and start to make real progress, I think we can exponentially change the trajectory considerably by working together and Mm -hmm. collaborating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Reagan, I think that I had you hooked after two hours of the first workshop with the Lifetime Extender. No question about that. Yeah. Just changing the mindset around what we can do with our life. And I've seen the confidence increase. I think, Steve, you mentioned post-COVID. It's like there's a reset in thinking when it comes to longevity and that lifetime extender tool that that you've created, Dan, and now an entire program behind it. I've never been more fascinated. I've honestly never seen more capabilities that I've seen now with people being open-minded to new resolutions when it comes to health. I don't know what you see, Steve, in your industry with your entrepreneurs, but with mine, I've got a group called Go Wellness where I've got about, now we're about up to almost 150 different doctors and clinics that we work with, acupuncturists, nature pets. And what we're seeing now more than ever is people are more willing to take uh, ownership over their health. Mm-hmm. In the past, it was, let me talk to my doctor and see what my doctor thinks about this. Now people are saying, okay, you let me know what we need to do and, and we're ready to do something different because we've been in the system for too long and the system has failed us and now we need something different. Yeah, and I think that I also have a, you know, a very distinct impression, certainly because I'm back to doing in-person workshops. And people say, oh, you're going back to in-person. I said, yeah, but it's not the same people who I was doing in-person workshops before COVID. I mean, they look the same, but they're not the same people. There's been a real profound shift. Interestingly, it has something to do with their own sense of their own physical health. Yeah. But I think the other thing is they become extraordinarily skeptical of what are called medical authorities. Okay, and they're beginning to realize that the thing that the authorities don't want them to know is that the authorities don't, don't know. know. Yes. <laughs> you know, and they're starting to go sideways in the sense, let's explore all sorts of different options that might be available now where we get to take control of the game plan. So, you know, industries don't change until consumers change. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, technology can be available for a lot of years before we start adopting it. And half the time we adopt the technology and use it for a different purpose anyways than than what was originally intended upon. And Dan, you said something interesting in one of the workshops that I was at in Chicago, which was, or maybe it was even before that, but, you know, picking up muscle, you put on a lot of muscle mass and you're always working on that. But you said, your concept of having confidence in your health and confidence in your capabilities is directly proportional to putting on muscle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the speed at which things are changing, new solutions are available, new innovation is coming to market at the idea phase or in the development phase or in the commercial phase is at a pace that I think enables us to, as consumers, as patients, or as family members, educate everybody and kind of bring things to the forefront. I think there's a danger in not being inclusive of different providers along the continuum of your health. But 
I think the idea that assuming they know already or heard about it or using it is kind of where the opportunity is. Because I think the the half-life of the education of, from medical school or grad school or any kind of education or teaching or training has become so different over the last decade or two that I think it's an opportunity to make sure that we are speeding up the information flow and the education flow and the data flow. Walking into a doctor's office or any of your clinical provider's offices with new data sets they've never seen before from your Apple Watch or your Apple, right. you know, the app from your phone or from that, Dan, you were talking earlier about Inside Tracker from different providers and not looking at it as silos. I mean, I think the one thing, if anything, we've stood for over the last decade plus startup health is break down the silos. Stop having conversations, stop being treated, stop doing things in silos. Mm-hmm. And Globally, there's silos of innovation by region, by country, in industries or in areas of focus, whether it be cancer or Alzheimer's. There's so many siloed kind of pockets of people, academia, investors, entrepreneurs. How do you break down the silos and open up the flow of information, democratize access to that information so that we can have a conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And Reagan, of course, your model, East West Clinic is really, I mean, it's kind of in the name, you know, when someone asks you, well, what's East West mean there? And you say, well, you know, there's wisdom and knowledge and craft from all over the world right. that the AMA doesn't want people to know too much beyond what's beyond the specialties that are included in the American Medical Association, you know, but it's really, really interesting how the customers, there was a survey and I'll see if I can find it, but they asked doctors about what percentage of their customers, their patients, did they think were actually actively exploring non-traditional healthcare and medicines? And the doctors said 20%. Mm-hmm. And then they got a representative group of patients and found out how many of you, in addition to your medical doctor, you know, your MD, how many of you are exploring? And it was 80%. So there's a 60% difference between what the doctors think is going on and what the patients are actually doing. But then they asked the question, does your doctor know? And they said, no, no, he's, I never get a positive response when I bring up any subject that's not within his specialty. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Steve, I don't know if you can comment on that, but you know, why is that? I mean, I, I know my own personal experience and how I got into more alternative or Eastern medicine is I had a, a disease called Hashimoto's. I had psoriasis and Hashimoto's and autoimmune flare-up. Dan, I'm like Babs in my genetics, so any chemical exposure, and I, I can sniff it out. I'm like a canary in a coal mine. You can walk into those places and you just love it. You feel great. But genetically, I'm just not predisposed to methylate very well. And so um, it was my own health crisis. And I found that conventional medicine just made things worse and they covered up symptoms. And if I would have stayed on that track, I'd be in really rough condition at this stage of life. I've been able to put my uh, Hashimoto's in remission, haven't had a psoriasis flare up in 20 years. And it was because of some of these Eastern philosophies and Eastern therapies that I was able to do that. But, But Steve, what do you think's going on? Why are people looking elsewhere? Well, I think very much what's happening on the internet and what's happening in social circles everywhere, which is people are having conversations and hearing about new things and inspiring the conversation. 
I would say that the idea that we can be, and I'm going to use something that Dan, I'd love you to elaborate on, which is this idea of being in charge versus in control mm. of your life, your situation, your company, because it's a concept that I think is at the core of this answer, which is, I think people are taking control of their health, but mainly focusing on being in charge of it, not in control of yeah. treatment. And so the idea that there are multiple perspectives, there's multiple answers, there's multiple solutions that you need to talk to and then make a decision because you're in charge. And so if you're in charge of your health, then you're sitting in the driver's seat and not giving that control or that capability of being in charge to someone else and expecting the doctor or any clinician or anybody else to handle your future. And I think therein lies the reason why it's now everyone's exploring and learning. And now there's access to care from different places and different people, by the way, not just in your local area either. Now there's international or national access to people that you wouldn't have been able to access just a few years ago. So I think it's kind of broken open a new opportunity, Mm. but that concept, Dan, that I'd love you to elaborate on is being in control or in charge. And I think it's about being in charge of your own health and and life. So my goal for entrepreneurs is in relationship to their organization, that they're not in control of their organization. They're in charge of their organization. So control is about management and charge is about leadership. Okay. And these are not the same thing. Being a leader and being a manager are actually quite separate from each other because management is about everything that already exists. And are we maximizing everything that's already known, you know, cash flow. We know the cash flow, manage it in such a way that we optimize and maximize cash flow, you know, our products, our services, the way we go about things, but it's all known. It could be written down what is known, but leadership is about seeing the future sufficiently far ahead that new things can be created that immediately differentiate you in the marketplace. And that's the job of the leader to be in charge. So. One of the definitions of charge is that it's electric, you know, there's electric Mm -hmm. charges. And I said, the role of the leader is to electrify their company, you know, and give a sense of vision to their company. And going back to Steve's description of the, you know, the siloing and uh, everything, I think it's a general function that they're part of higher education. Uh, You know, I mean, medicine is one of the higher education subjects you know if you look at the last 50 years has been an explosion of higher education with college degrees but beyond college postgraduate degrees and medicine was part of the upswing of people going into it and the other thing there's a respectability to certain professions and these professions and p with a capital p you know, is really some of the very, very old guild type organizations and, you know, doctors, lawyers, accountants, architects, engineers, they're all professionals. And usually there's a long study period and usually just to qualify for the best education, you know, a child is probably starting around 10, 12 years old to get on the learning track to get to the right university, get to the right medical school, get to the right profession, everything else. 
And entrepreneurs are very different entrepreneurs. I think the entrepreneurs start around that age too, but it's about creating something new, two separate tracks. But there's a story, it's about an immigrant family and the father is dead, but the daughter of the immigrant mother becomes the first woman president of the United States. She's being sworn in on the Capitol steps. And just as she's taking the oath, the man next to the mother leans over and said, this must be the proudest moment of your life. And she says, well, you know, her brother's a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) This presidency, I don't know if this is, you know, I don't know if there, I don't know if there's any future in this. There's no security in it whatsoever, you know, (laughs) security. But for immigrants and the U.S. is an immigrant country, I mean, they're pouring across the border. I mean, that's an immigrant yeah. country. They do a world study every year of the numbers of people who, if they could, they'd move someplace from where they are. And it's about 800 million people every year. So it's about a tenth of the world population. If they could move, they would move. And out of the 800 million, 200 million would move to the United States if they could, if they could. So wow. the U.S. has always been an immigrant country. It will always be an immigrant country. But when you're an immigrant, you leave everything behind, you know, I mean, you leave your connections, you leave your reputation, you probably leave your profession, you leave, you know, your property, you leave your status and everything. And you come and you go for professions that immediately with proper study give you immediate status. You know, they give you status in society and being a doctor is just one of those things. So I think there's very much of a status connected to not so much what you do as a doctor, just the fact that you're an actual doctor. I think there's a status thing. And there's kind of like a fork in the road, I think, for every individual where whether you are favoring in the future status and security or whether you're favoring innovation and excitement. And I think that decision probably happens very early. Yeah. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. I think that innovation is I know, Steve, in your company, Startup Health, you're looking for innovation. And in, in my practice, that's consistently, we, we like to be on the cutting edge of, of all the, the therapies and regenerative medicine, functional medicine, the world of peptide sciences, all the anti-aging medicine. But, but we also stay really rooted in the foundational wisdom. That's the Eastern side of things. So, the therapies that worked 2,500 years ago, they're actually still kind of work today. And so, yeah, being open-minded to the past and really uh, not letting that wisdom go, but also uh, being able to capture some of the new innovations of the, the future has, has been really exciting. But in order to do that, you've got to let go of, you know, everything you've been taught in school, you know, 95% of it. I didn't learn from my Japanese teachers or my Chinese medical teachers or even my Western medical teachers at the hospital. I learned it in actual practice. So it's been a fun adventure. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned looking for innovation. We actually look for innovators, not innovation. Because I think- Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love it. At the core of all of this is that mindset, right? And Mm -hmm. the- I think democratization of so much education and learning, whether it's in clinical practice, like you just described, or in school, or a fluid, you know, in and out of, you know, both learning and treating and seeing what works and what doesn't work. I think therein lies an opportunity for us to just accelerate the flow of that dialogue between people and 
organizations and sharing the successes. And I think, you know, I'm often called, and I'm sure you are as well, when someone that you know is uh, diagnosed with or a family member is diagnosed with something and they, they've gone to the internet and they've searched on Google, they've gotten scared, they've gotten kind of the general information from what you can find online, but they really want to know the real answer or who to call. And it's fascinating to think about how different it is today versus 20 years ago or 30 years ago and getting access to that people yep. who can treat you or the solution or the, the innovators who are immersed in that area. Mm-hmm. whether it be you know, breast cancer or diabetes or Alzheimer's or dementia. So I think it's an interesting kind of area that you're in as it relates to thinking outside the box yeah. and making sure that that is not only limited to the people in your network, but it is made available to people all over the world. Yeah, and I think that there's some big simplifications that are actually happening. The six days that I spent on the longevity trip, Boston, New York, you know, and points in between, there were a couple big paradigm shifts that I really saw. So I don't take notes when I go to a conference. I'm sitting on the seashore and the waves are coming over me and I'm just (laughs) getting a feeling. So one of the big paradigms is that I think that regenerative medicine, that's where you're bringing things back, you're healing things, you're restoring things to an earlier stage of fitness. I think it's the number one most invested in industry in the next 50 years. I think more money will pour into this industry, more talent will pour into this industry than any other industry. I mean, there's gonna be lots of growth industries, but I think this one has deep, deep passions attached to it that no other technology or no other area of focus does you know everybody takes this personally we don't take all sorts of other kinds of technology personally but everybody takes it personally you know and the reason is everybody suffers from three things related to health fitness medicine we all feel very isolated with this you know that we don't know what's going on inside of our bodies so we're we're basically isolated in relationship to our own self-knowledge. We just don't know what's going on in there. The second thing is we're very ignorant. Mm. There's so much happening that we can't possibly know. But not only that, we don't even know the people who know. Yeah. We don't even know the people who know. And number three, because of the first two, we're very insecure about this. And I would say that doctors are just as isolated, ignorant, and insecure as their patients are. Yeah. Yeah. So much is happening that nobody's got an overview. I mean, Steve, you may have a bigger overview than almost anyone simply because of the different types of, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors that are being created. You're probably looking at two or 300 separate innovation streams. Yeah, what I concluded is we just don't know what we don't know. And everybody, you know, whether it's a a clinician who's at the top of his or her game, and we often see this in situations where people think they're going to the best doctor that everybody's been talking about that does that surgery or does that treatment. And what's fascinating is that if you don't do a couple of double, triple checks on what else is out there, I experienced this last year with my youngest daughter's diagnosis with scoliosis. And we went to the best doctor in New York. And he, you know, handed his tablets to us example of, well, here's what you have, here's what we need to do. And here's the surgery your daughter needs. And then 
scratched our head and I know what I don't know. And I know he doesn't know what he doesn't know. So I went to a second doctor, best in New York by other people. And again, the two top surgeons in New York, doctors in New York for scoliosis, they told us what needed to be done. And then of course, again, knowing what you don't know, what you don't know, I went deeper and went down to Philadelphia and went to the best doctor in Philadelphia and got a whole different perspective. Mm -hmm. And then went back to the other doctors. And what I realized is everybody looks at the same x-rays from a different vantage point. And everybody has a different conclusion and a different solution, but we're in charge. They're not. And I think the idea of having the confidence to be in charge of what you decide to do is about the optionality that we all have today. Now, going back to education or going back to my network, going back to my unique ability to, to network into places like that isn't available to everybody around the world and isn't available to everybody even in this country. So I recognize there's a big disparity yeah. between access. But from the very beginning, what my 13-year-old daughter learned is we are in charge. Yeah. We're in charge of what we do. Mm-hmm. By the way, she cried after each one of the doctors, but probably cried the most after the last one who actually said, we don't need surgery yeah. and went through a whole different solution, cried from the confusion because she thought the first doctor was the God of the doctors. And then she went to the second one and was confused by the fact that there was another great doctor who saw from a different perspective. And then the third godlike doctor had a different perspective. <laughs> All three doctors, by the way, at the top of their game, but very different viewpoints. But my daughter learned that she is in charge. We are in charge. Yeah. And that's why I came back to that comment about being in charge versus in control, Dan, that you bring yeah. up entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I think it applies for your health too. Yeah. By the way, Steve, your example proves a point about theater. If you want to end up on Broadway, you got to open up in Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) It proves a point in another realm. But I think the big thing is that what we have to accept is that we're living in an infinite knowledge world. Okay, that the smartest people in any area are simply dipping their toes in the stream. Yeah. And proven, by the way, I talked to multiple strategic coach relationships, multiple YPO relationships, multiple people in startup. And it wasn't until you had all different perspectives that you can make a decision. Yeah. That, again, hopefully is the right one, but at least we made it and we're in charge. Yeah. The other thing is that there's another model that's developing that you can say what you want about average this and average this, but every individual, the deeper you look at that individual, they're really unique in many perspectives. There are exceptions to many, many rules, you know, what goes on inside of us. I mean, our our genes are one thing, but then our epigenetics, you know, mm-hmm. our playing with, you know, what we were given and the biome, the biome is becoming incredibly important, you know, way, way. I mean, this wasn't even talked about 10 years ago. And now people are saying, you know, your entire immune system now is far, far more influenced by the gut bacteria that you have, you know, and everything. So I think that's another thing is that you can say anything you want about symptoms that are showing up, but it doesn't really give you a 100% take on the person that you're talking about. There may be some exceptions that you just don't know about. You know, you can't have large systems with uniform standards and have exceptions. So they tend to not want to hear about the exceptions. But the people who can write the check for their medical care don't want the general treatment. They want specific custom design treatment. You know, and it was so funny because I was talking about one of our clients 
Bruce Udell, who's 25 years in the program, and he's just gone through cartilage regrowing in two of his knees. Okay, so he had deteriorating knees, which traditionally would call for knee replacements, and his orthopedic surgeon was recommending that this is the year we get. And he said, no, nah. he said, it was like you, Steve. He said, well, I don't know, I don't know. And then he got an idea. He says, of all the places that would know something about this, who would it be? And he says, the National Football League. I bet the National Football League really knows what the cutting edge is for cartilage, torn cartilage repair. And within 25 miles of him is a guy who's been regrowing cartilage in knees for the last five years. And he said, how come we don't know you? And he says, you know, there's a lot of millionaire civilians attached to the National Football League. The line for my services, are, they know about the players, they know about the coaches, and there's another lineup of millionaires who don't care what it costs, but they would like it tomorrow. And so he got in and it's four months now and he was in chronic pain for 10 years and he had no pain within one day afterwards. He's got no pain and he's watching the MRIs being taken every time he goes back, every month he goes back, gets MRIs and you can see the meniscus regrowing. You can see the cartilage regrowing right on the screen. And Bob Berry, who's an orthopedic client of ours, you met him. Reagan at the last 10 times. Bob was three years twice with the San Diego Chargers NFL. And he said, oh, yeah, he says the NFL is way ahead, just like the Department of Defense is way ahead of creating new bone, creating new skin, creating new ligaments, because soldiers get beaten up, they get broken and everything else. And they want the very, very latest that they can provide to their soldiers. So my sense is that it's out of control. My sense is that the development of healthcare and medicine is out of control now. Okay. And there's no governing body. Well, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah, nobody's in charge. There's no quarterback in any of these areas kind of doing that. So you have to be your own. And I think- yeah, Well, I think the three of us are. <laughs> there we well, go. Yeah. I mean that in a humorous way, but I mean that seriously, that you can't do it as a single individual. You got to be part of a community that has common mindsets and are sharing what they're discovering with each other. I think that's That's exactly right. If you're in charge of your own health and you own it and don't expect it to be owned by anybody else, which I think is the shift that, you know, wasn't possible 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I think that acknowledgement you're in charge is the first step. And I think the idea of getting access to then to the people and the organizations and the information and the insights early and often, I think is really the key to unlocking ultimately what we're all striving for. And it might be a good cutoff to to do a a second episode with Reagan on the age reversal mindsets that you've outlined, which I think are, are critical to this, but I don't want to double down on the second half of this with that. I'd love to cut it and do a yeah. new episode of your Yeah, so let's just wrap up the takeaway for each of us just cool. from the Good idea. first. Reagan, something that you may be new, but got even more to the forefront of your thinking as a result of this. The biggest break through thinking I got out of that is that more and more people are willing to be in charge of their health. And they're doing what's necessary to find the answers, and it's going to only propel longevity and life extension. 
I'll go next. Yeah, I think that if you look at everything else that's happened in the world, that I was born into a purely industrial economy civilization. Everything was big pyramids, you know, with layers of management. Mm. And that was the corporate life, that was government life, that was unions, it was every organization, the school system, religions were that way, everything was. And in the 70 years that I've been actually reading and following things, we shifted to an entirely different economic platform, which is networks. You know, microchip enabled networks where information goes sideways and you got big nodes, little nodes, medium sized nodes, but everything is connectable. If you have the reason for connecting, you can immediately connect. You don't have to go through ranks of management to get permission to get your information or your, your capabilities. So I think that the, what I would call mainstream medicine is caught halfway between those two models. I think they're caught, they still have the hierarchical limitations and regulations and rules about you can't talk to people about this. You can't be at a meeting where this is being talked about openly and everything else. But at the same time, they have customers or patients coming in the door who've been on the internet and they're asking them questions about stuff that aren't allowed to be talked about behind closed doors, but the patient wants to know about it right then and there. So I think they're caught between two organizational models, and these are profound. These are global organizational models. And I think that a lot of the growing dissatisfaction on the part of patients, you know, people who want healthcare in that, is they notice they're suspecting that what the doctor is not telling them is because the doctor doesn't know. Yeah. Wow. Steve? Yeah. You know, I think this theme of taking a leadership role in your own health and being in charge of your life and your health, mental and physical, by the way, is the single biggest mindset shift of all mindset shifts. Because if you expect that doctor or that person to really be in charge of your health, you're making a grave mistake. There is nobody else who's going to be in charge besides you. And a lot of people don't operate that way. They give it all to the doctor or to somebody else to handle. And in fact, create a lot of that frustration that you just described and talked about. And the other is don't operate in silos, whether it be your family or whether it be your input, your advice, your information. I think a lot of the data that we now have access to is about breaking down the siloed information, breaking down the siloed conversations, breaking down the siloed access. And if you can take a leadership role and not operate in a silo, you're starting off in the right place. That to me is the beginning of the entire conversation about where we are today and what is now possible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've just wrapped up with episode one of a two podcast discussion. Steve Crane, Reagan Archibald, Dan Sullivan. Next one coming right up.